There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Kiwi Birth Tales. I am your host, Jordan. I am a mum of two. I have Jai, who's three and a half, and Ali, who is 20 months old. And I also have a business baby, which is your birth project. If you are pregnant right now, you need your birth project in your life. So make sure you go and check that out. Today's episode is a little bit of a different one. I've never had this on the podcast before, which is exciting. I recorded an episode with the beautiful girls from Mother Unrefined. And this episode is available on their podcast, but I also wanted to make sure it was available on the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast because... I know lots of you come here when you're pregnant and I just think that the podcast episode that I did with them is so valuable to your pregnancy and your birth prep and your birth planning. So I hope that you love the episode. I'd love to hear your feedback. If you want to send me an email, Jordan with a Y, J-O-R-D-Y-N at KiwiBirthTales.com or find me on Instagram at KiwiBirthTales or at Your Birth Project. Okay, let's jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy. Before we jump into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Now let's jump into the episode. It's an experience that we've heard probably for our whole lives that is going to be so painful when we watch movies and these women are like, on their backs and they're screaming and it's this massive like you know ordeal and everything that the media or a movie or a tv series has ever portrayed about birth has been traumatic without us even sort of realizing it hello and welcome to mother unrefined a podcast brought to you by two old friends and ex-business partners who have reignited their flame over motherhood. I'm Jess Frank. And I'm Nicholas Scrooby. And, and we're, we're your hosts. The aim of this podcast is to make every woman who listens feel less alone on her journey to and through motherhood, however that may look. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode, we won't be watching our language. Hello, welcome back to Mother Unrefined. My name is Jess. And my name is Nicola. And today is a very relevant episode. To us. Yeah, sorry guys, we're being selfish for this one. But, yes. but have we actually, we've done an episode on hypnobirthing before, haven't we? We have touched on it. Uh, we've spoken with the modern doula. She spoke about it a little bit as well. And we can link that episode in the notes as well. I think we spoke a little bit about it with um, Millie Poppins in one of our first episodes. Mm-hmm. But, but this I is more of, of a deep dive. Yeah, this is a, a deep dive and we also share some of our own experiences, which I think it's always nice to hear other people's experiences. But the one thing that I really liked about this episode is that Jordan, uh, who we're interviewing, she's really into um, hypnobirthing as like a like it's not just about avoiding intervention, it's about embracing intervention if it occurs and what you can do um, to, to help you, I guess, manage that mentally and physically. 
Yeah, that's beautifully said, actually. So yeah, so she is a qualified hypnobirthing instructor. She has an online course called Your Birth Project. So that is available, obviously, around the world. The price point is ridiculously good, can I just Mm, say. Very Um, good. Very good. So I think a lot of the time uh, hypnobirthing courses can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I think mine was (laughs) when I did it. Um, Mm. This one is accessible to pretty much everybody and you have it for a full year. So I think once you kind of get an understanding of what hypnobirthing is, it takes away the sort of woo-woo-ness of it and you can really become empowered in in your birth. Okay, well, listen, this episode got us pumped up again for birth. Hypnobirthing, uh, we've both been, uh, we've both used it before. We're excited to use it again for this birth. We really can't recommend it enough. Please, everybody, jump on, have a look at your birth project because hypnobirthing really does change the perspective of the birth, makes it so much less daunting and gives it's you the power. Woo-woo. It's not yeah. all woo-woo. Some yeah. are, but this one isn't. So let's start. <laughs> Hi, Jordan. Thank you for joining us today. Before we get started, would you mind just telling us a bit about yourself, who's in your family and what it is that you do? Sure. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I am Jordan. I am a mum of two. So I've got uh, two sons. Their names are Jai and Ali and they are three and one and a half. So it's a busy little um, household over here. We live in Papamoa, which is um, in the North Island of New Zealand, and I do a couple of things, actually. (laughs) So I've got Your Birth Project, which is um, one of my businesses, and it is an online hypnobirthing course. Um, It's also an online store for pregnancy, birth, and uh, postpartum-related products, and I've got a beautiful little journal as well, which is pregnancy uh, and birth-focused, and then... I also have Kiwi Birth Tales, which is a uh, pregnancy and birth podcast hosted here in New Zealand and talks about all things, yeah, pregnancy, birth and motherhood um, with Kiwi mums and dads, which is amazing. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wow. You do have your hands full. I can't believe (laughs) that gap. So is that a... Uh, Yes. Uh, (laughs) um, 21 months between them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And two boys as well. We've oh, I've got two boys coming. Well, in in a week. A yeah. Second boy coming. So um, yeah. Yeah. How how is it with two boys? Is it all right? Oh, it's it's um yeah. I'm gonna tell you yes because you're going for it. <laughs> no, it's um it's so cool. And we didn't like plan on having such a close uh, age gap. Ali, our second, was a happy surprise. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're such cute little friends now, like growing such an awesome bond and they fight like cats and dogs, but they also, yeah, they um, have a beautiful relationship. So I love being a boy mum. Yeah, no, I do love boys. I do love boys. They're <laughs> mummy's boys. So I guess the first question I wanted to ask in terms of your birth project, can mm-hmm. you tell me why you created it and um, sort of give us a little bit of background about it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I started your birth project a couple of years ago now, and I think through recording podcast episodes um, on Kiwi Birth Tales, I was hearing, you know, similar sort of themes over and over again, where someone might have had a different birth experience if they had more knowledge or if they knew that certain term what it meant when someone was talking to them about it, or if they had more knowledge of, you know, what an um, induction might mean for them or 
all of these things that um, I guess form part of birth education that just naturally through the shortage of midwives here in New Zealand and, and across the world really um, they don't have time to run an individual sort of antenatal type session with each client and um, there's quite a mixed experience I was finding through the podcast with antenatal classes sort of in general and the knowledge and information uh, mums and dads were getting out of that so I thought along that journey and I was pregnant um, myself as part of that and ended up having an emergency cesarean section for my first birth after an induction. Um, I just thought like there's, there's so, there has to be more out there that's easily accessible and and taught in a way that is easy to understand and um, that sort of drove my passion for it I guess so I did a hypnobirthing instructor qualification and I got the expertise that I needed and I sort of turned that into my own thing because I found everything I was finding around hypnobirthing was so positive but it was so directed towards someone who wanted to have you know a drug-free home birth or a birth in a birth center with no um, no drugs or interventions and it was very much the sort of feeling of if you have those things then you fail in some way and I really didn't like mm. the sort of rhetoric around um, hypnobirthing that we can sometimes find so that's what drove me to start your birth project it truly is an inclusive um, course you could be planning an elective cesarean section and still use the hypnobirthing techniques in the course um, and yeah so it's all online it's accessible anywhere it's an accessible price point because that was another thing I was finding when I was doing my research like you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these courses and that's just not realistic for everybody. Um, so it was important to me to sort of keep that in mind as well, but it's pretty much four hours of um, content that you can stop and start and go back to whenever you want. Um, so it's in like little bite-sized bits. Yeah, correct. Yep. So it's yeah. like um, some videos will be a couple of minutes long. Others will be, you know, like 10 to 15 minutes and you yep. can, uh, access the course as many time, times as you like in 12 months. So it's Amazing. really like, I don't know about you guys, but I have had major pregnancy brain. I still feel like I've got like, brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we feel and it. And I just didn't like, I found it really hard to re retain information when I went to in-person classes. So yes. I love the idea of being able to go back to, um, you know, sections of the course that I either didn't take in enough from or I want to know more about or I really want to focus on. So, yeah, there's also a beautiful birth video at the end of the course and um, some like bonus episodes from the podcast and things like that. But it's just truly an inclusive course that helps mums to have their best birth. Like that's my goal, goal with the Amazing. course. Yeah. Well, you've, you've answered my next question, I guess, which is, <laughs> is it suitable for all births? But yeah. it is, obviously. I think I just want to say I did a hypnobirthing course um, online because it was in COVID. Mm. So I did that for my um, first birth. And I definitely have to agree that it was really geared towards um, natural mm. uh, births only. They did obviously cover inductions and other things. This was in the mm. UK. Um other things, but I definitely felt afterwards I was so um, gung-ho, I guess, about the natural birth, I'm mm. doing inverted commas here, that I almost felt a little bit like a failure afterwards. Mm, I think yeah. it's so common, right? Yeah. I agree. I, I feel like hypnobirthing, when I came out of 
the first pregnancy, it was something that I was like, oh, almost afraid to do again Mm. in this pregnancy because I didn't want to, yeah, just set my, I felt like I was setting setting myself up up for failure or like disappointment. Whereas in my head, I, I don't mean, I, I don't know psychologically what this is right now, but I'm like in this point of denial where I'm like, yeah, so I'm just going to go with the flow. And, but, but I know myself and I'm one of those yeah. people, you need that. And we were talking about this yesterday, Jess, but like we're last minute assignment sort of people. And now I'm yeah, like, me too. all right, I got a week till birth. I got to learn yeah. my shit. I need, I actually yeah. do need the hypnobirthing tools. So it's really nice to know that there's an inclusive one out there. Um, that does yeah it doesn't sort of sh- not shame you none of them shame you openly yeah. but it's just sort of like you have that in the back of your mind like that feeling like, oh, I got the induction I did this I did this and you're yeah. like yeah. could I have done it differently I know? put off getting um intervention I guess for 30 hours which yeah, is just so dumb. Same. yeah so yeah just, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this. Yeah, it's a very common sort of like theme and story. And I think um, I hear so many people say like, oh, I'm just going to go with the flow for my birth because, you know, you never know what will happen. And I just think like you that's need such, a, <laughs> such a great mindset in terms of being like open-minded to what can happen and, you know, like what you might need in your labor and birth. But I always say like if you were going to buy a new car, the chances are that you would do like a heap of research and like you'd ask your friends and you'd ask your family and you might even go like on your Instagram and be like, tell me the car that I can put three rear facing car seats across in. Like you'd want to know all of that information. Yeah. And I think like birth is the, the truly one of the most unique and like transformative experiences that we'll ever have. And just deciding to be open-minded and not learn anything about it. I think like it's sort of a head in the sand, like, way to do it and I understand it I get I get it but I just like I anyone I talk to I'm like I implore you please (laughs) just even if it's (laughs) on YouTube go and find out a little bit more about like birth well even to give you some perspective so but guys when I say I'm going with the flow I've done two hypnobirthing classes (laughs) I'm not completely head in the sand I know my shit yeah. But what I did, what I did do this time is because I had like a few issues in my last pregnancy. I researched the hell out of those and mm. looked at like the science behind, you know, like placenta being tugged and like all yes. these things. So yeah. I know what I definitely don't want. But anyway, um, let's talk about hypnobirthing. So obviously we both use elements of it, but for the listeners at home, mm. what can you just give us a rundown of how it works? Yeah, I think hypnobirthing is like it's probably changed over time, and I think. Um, it's a range of things depending on where you get your information from and sort of how you choose to go about that. But the general idea is that hypnobirthing is like a range of tools or um, techniques that you can use in your labor and birth that aim towards helping you have a more positive um, experience. And the the heart of hypnobirthing, and that's why, you know, we hear all of this about having a drug-free, intervention-free vaginal birth. The heart of it is around comfort methods that don't involve, um, you know, any medical intervention. So it's all things that you can do um, on your own or with your partner and sort of focus, yeah, around avoiding that sort of medical side of birth. So um, it's just, yeah, the positive birth is the really key aspect there. Um, and I just think it's knowledge, right? It's knowledge about, um, the process of labor and birth. And I really do believe that knowledge is power when it comes to childbirth, um, it's comfort methods and tools and, 
um, is not only support for your body, but support for your mind as well, which I think is just like the most important tool in childbirth. So that would probably be how I'd explain hypnobirthing. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, people don't realize, I mean, if you're really brand new to it, you think you hear the term hypnobirthing and you think it's all a bit sort of so I was really um surprised to learn how science-based the whole mm. thing is yeah 100 percent. and I think like when we think hypnobirthing we sort of think I'm going to be hypnotized or I'm going to be yeah. in this like hypnosis state when I'm in labor and birth and I won't yeah. remember anything and I'm just going to be like flying with the clouds and my baby will just glide on out <laughs> like I think I mean, um, if only that would be great <laughs> right yeah. I I, I I would be a um, millionaire if that was the case, I think. Um, but yeah, I think like the 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 general idea around um, around knowledge being power and sort of taking what you want from a hypnobirthing course, I think, is the really important part. Totally. Um, let's talk about the golden hour. We hear mm. we hear about it a lot. Can you kind of just explain what it is and why it's important? Yeah. So for me, the golden hour is like the first hour after your baby is born. Um, and it's that sort of uninterrupted, ideally, um, hour of time that you've got your baby on you doing skin to skin. So, you know, there's nothing between you. Um, your baby sort of can feel and like knows your heartbeat and, and get to know your smell. And it's that really bonding sort of um, period. Ideally you'd have delayed cord clamping, which is not always possible depending on your birth, but um, it's amazing if you can do that. So skin to skin delayed cord clamping and that sort of first latch. So um, I don't know if you've ever seen a video of a baby doing like a breast crawl where they sort of like yeah. their way along to um, the mother's nipple and that often happens in that first sort of golden hour as well. But I think the general principle is that you just have this like period of time that is uninterrupted that you and your baby are just together and like you've just given birth to this this child and, you know, you're now holding them in your arms and it's, yeah, pretty incredible sort of moment. And I think oh, – I feel so um, emotional now. I know. Coming up. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think like it also – isn't lost um just as a side note like in a cesarean birth you can still achieve um you know so many different parts of that golden hour after birth in a cesarean birth as well so yeah I think we often see like golden hour and we think this vaginal birth um which is absolutely the case because um it's not a surgery but you can still have your baby skin to skin um you can have your baby like on you on the table when you're moved to recovery you can do your first latch on the table all of those different types of things so um I think that's important to remember as well definitely and we did speak about the partners um and but obviously when we say partners we can talk about birth partners as well it doesn't necessarily have to be you know Mm. the 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 mother or father of your child but what are some of the best ways we can incorporate um our partner in the lead up to the birth um and the birth process itself and I just want to say here that I fully like you know how you write birth plans and we are going to discuss Mm. that I had that piece of paper. I don't think mm-hmm. I used it once, but one thing I did drill into my partner leading up is like things that I, were just non-negotiables for mm-hmm. me. And I thought I would still be able in birth to be like, oh no, I don't want that. I don't want that. But looking back on it, I just had no, mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't say anything. Like he actually had to advocate for me on so many occasions. Um, yeah, I so agree. I think yeah. I think that's something which I just want to emphasize before you answer the question. Yeah, for sure. I think like, 
we probably don't emphasize enough how much of a part a birth partner plays in your in your actual birth experience. Like they are the controller of your birth space from, you know, letting people into the room, understanding what's going on. Cause you're right. You don't, you're often not in the, either the headspace or you're in your own world <laughs> and yeah. all of the stuff yeah. is happening around you. And like, sometimes truly, like I remember parts of my labor where there were people in the room talking and I literally couldn't hear what they were saying. I was just like in my own world and your birth partner needs to be able to be your advocate during that time and, you know, really understand what's going on. And I think, um, yeah, sometimes it gets a little bit lost in translation, maybe how important um, of a role the birth partner plays in a birth. So I think there's so many different ways for us to incorporate a partner um, in our birth experience, but it all starts with birth education, right? Like bring them along to the courses, um, get them reading the same sort of books as you or listening to the same podcasts or watching a YouTube video or whatever it is that you're sort of investing your time in. Um, it's amazing if they can do that too. And that's why I sort of designed the course. It's got a specific birth partners section. So ideally they do the whole course with you, but if they don't, or for whatever reason, there's a 15 minute video for birth partners that is basically like, here is everything you need to know as fast as I can possibly tell you to support this person during their birth. Um, And there's so many different ways they can do that. They can learn these comfort methods that you want to try in labor and birth and some of them might not work and then you try something different or they can learn how to put the TENS machine on your back. Um, They can learn how to do acupressure acupressure massage or they can learn a hip squeeze. They can understand what's important to you and your birth environment, what language you're using. There's so many different things. Um, But I think the key thing to remember, and if you're a birth partner, like listening to this podcast episode is you have such an impact on the way that this birth experience ends up going. So I think investing your time and your knowledge um, into learning about birth and the process of birth and how you can best support is going to be so, so valuable. And it's like, this life-changing experience that you go through together. I think there's never enough weight put on that. Yeah. 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 I think definitely getting my husband to watch uh, a few of the hypnobirthing. He probably watched them all actually. I I feel like I have amnesia from the whole thing, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, I know that it got him really excited, got Mm. me really excited. And then he saw that and he watched it and got really excited about the whole thing as well. So it was kind of that building up that, um, Instead of having the anxiety around the birth, it was more excitement. Yeah, Yeah, and I think, like, we forget that um, labor and birth can be really, like, mentally and physically draining for the birth partner as well. Yeah. Especially if it's somebody, you know, if it is your your partner and you're seeing them go through this, like, really intense experience, it can be really um, draining for the birth partner as well. So having a bit of an idea about what to expect, I think, like, just means that they're not going in blind and they're not sort of – like totally shocked by this whole experience and they are able to be your support person and they are able to, you know, like really support you in the times that you needed and give you the positive affirmations and give you the drive you need to keep going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The positive affirmations. <laughs> they actually work. I know. It's like, I'm not a positive affirmation person. No, like, neither. you know, I'm not like someone who can stand in the mirror and, and positive um, yeah. affirmations at myself. But during labor, it was like, I just had these 
you know, a few key sentences that I just was like telling myself over and over again. And sometimes that's the thing that you can like hold on to and it, it does give you power. And I think it's so different, right? Childbirth is just such a different experience to anything else that you do in your life. Um, yeah, I'm all for positive affirmations. So okay, speaking, I'm, I'm, wait, wait, oh, I, okay. I just need to, I'm a week away and I didn't do positive affirmations. Maybe that's why I thought it didn't happen right now, joking. But can you give me one, let, let's just give me two birth affirmations. Like what, what are your two favourites? Yeah, I love, um, and I'm probably going to get them like the exact wording of them wrong, but when I was saying to myself in labour is like my contractions are not stronger than me because they are me, like they yes, are I my did body. Yes, I did that I one. I really favorite. like that one because like sometimes they can feel so powerful and overwhelming yeah. and it's like just brings you back to the place of like this is my body and it's not stronger than me. Like I think that's a really yeah. nice one. Um, yeah, love it. Yeah. And I really love my body and my baby are working together. Like every contraction I'm having, my body and my baby are working together. They're doing what they need to be doing. Um, those are probably two of my favorites. Well, they're definitely the ones I hung on to in my, yeah. in my labor. All right, I've popped them on my desk and um, <laughs> that'll be where I'll be giving birth. So it'll yeah. be good. <laughs> well, at your desk, great. Well, yeah, I'll um, be in this room for a while, but yeah. Oh, that's true. Go actually. on. So, okay, I on your Instagram, you do mm. some stories and some um, reels about talking about anxieties mm. towards birth, which is kind of what we were just talking on as well. Um, what are the main birth anxieties that you hear from from your clients and I guess within that question can we talk a little bit about the acronym brain Mm, yeah for sure so I think birth anxiety is really normal right like it's an experience that we've heard probably for our whole lives that is going to be so painful and we watch movies and yeah these women are like on their backs and they're screaming and it's this massive like you know ordeal and everything that the media or a movie or a TV series has ever portrayed about birth has been traumatic without us even sort of realizing it. So I think that gives us this innate sense of like fear when we think about giving birth. Um, And I think the main anxieties that I talk with like my clients about is actually around the unknown and like, you know, not being able to sort of control how things happen in labor and birth and also tearing like, that's such a huge one. Um, mm. I think if we just sit here and think about like a vaginal tear, that just the most awful thing that you can think of. But we forget that in the moment when you're actually giving birth, it's not like oh my god, the majority not- of yeah, the majority of people who yeah. give birth like they don't even they couldn't identify the moment that they had a tear. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like it's very different to think about it when you're sort of just sitting there at your desk being like, oh, my gosh, this is <laughs> going to happen to me. Um, and those are sort of the main anxieties that I I hear about. So I guess the few key things I'd say about that is, um, again, the birth education and sort of knowledge is power and really understanding um, what you can control. So what's within your circle of control, what's, you know, in your birth environment, what language are you using? Who's in the room? How are you being treated? All of those different sorts of things, um, that you can control. And then in terms of the brain acronym, I really love this one, um, because it just gives us a tool to use to make decisions. And again, the loss of control, um, can often lead to, and we'll talk about it soon, I think, the cascade of intervention or um, 
what for whatever reason a feeling of birth trauma after birth so brain acronym um the b stands for benefits so if you've got a decision to make what benefits come from um the options that i'm being presented with r stands for risks so what's the risk assessment what are the risks of saying yes or no to this thing that i'm being offered uh, a, what are the alternatives? So what other options do I have? Um, what other things could I try? All of the different alternative options. I is for instinct. And I think we um, really need to put some weight onto this one. So what is your instinct telling you? What is your gut telling you about this decision that you need to make? Um, mother's intu- intuition is really strong, right? And I think um it's okay to lean on that in a medical sense as well. So really using your um, gut instinct, what is that telling you? And then N stands for nothing. So what happens if I, you know, wait another two hours? And I like to think of like an example around induction for this. So what happens if I wait another two hours before you break my waters and I go and I do some walking up and down the corridors or I walk up and down the stairs or I try a few different positions to move into and things like that. What happens between now and two hours time? um, If you want to break my waters, then, then we can talk about it again. Um, so I think that's just a really nice tool to have in your back pocket. If you need to make a decision about anything in your labor or birth, um, you can sort of work through your options. And it also is a nice tool for birth partners, because if you are in that sort of other world, (laughs) feel like you're, um, you know, not really with it or able to make the decision, um, like you would, when you weren't giving birth, your birth partner can sort of work through this brain acronym with you um, and you can come to a decision together. So yeah, I think it's a really nice one. Yeah. I I remember actually. Yeah. Did did you use it, Jess? Yeah, I did. And I remember making it a really important thing for Matt to learn as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So just for the reasons that you just said. Yeah. yeah, and I remember even going on and like talking to my sister, my mum. Like, I'm one of those people that when I make a decision, I have to ask <laughs> everyone's opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, of course, my mum was like, Nicola, just stop. You've been laboring for too long. Just get that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to hang up on you now because you're not helping me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we just quickly talk about birth plans? Um, we we did discuss this in another podcast with um someone called Millie Poppins, and she was talking about reframing the term birth plan to birth mm. wishes because mm-hmm. it's just like sometimes having a plan and it doesn't go to plan, you feel disappointed. Yeah. So how can we actually understand what we want out of our birth? I mean, you've sort of just described it then, but do you recommend in your course that people sort of write it down? Mm. So I've got a template in the Your Birth Project course called Birth Goals and it's sort of similar, I guess. It's, it's yeah. the reframing of birth plan to goals and I really like that because it's a goal around all centered around how do you want to feel once you've given birth to your baby and then you sort of work back from there about the things that are important to you and like I think you mentioned earlier your non-negotiables so what are the really non-negotiables that you have um in your labor and birth and then I think like thinking about what does your dream birth look like and it might not be I'm in the water and I'm, you know, not using any drugs and my baby comes out and we spend the golden hour together and those types of things. It might not be that specific. It might be, I feel like I'm respected in the decisions that I make. I feel like I'm informed and able to make the decisions for myself and nobody else made them for me. I feel like I want the word surge to be used instead of contraction and everybody in my birth team knew that. And that's the the language that they use. Like it can be things that are sort of that um 
that simple, I guess, um, that can make such a huge difference in our birth. So that's sort of one side of it. And then I guess the other side of it is, okay, so here's what I want to feel like. Here's what I want my birth to look like. What are the next steps or alternatives for me? Um, should this happen? So it's like, okay, this happens, then what? So that's how I've structured the birth goals in your birth project, because I think it just gives you, um, it gives you a, okay, this is my dream outcome. And then here's what I want to happen if things don't go totally to plan for lack of a better word. I think it's really nice to think about the things that are important to you and the non-negotiables rather than just saying, I'm going to go with the flow and not have a plan. All right, let's move on to the point that's come up a couple of times, Mm. uh, the cascade of intervention. So it's kind of always got a bit of a negative connotation to it, right? Mm. Mm. Let's put a different spin on it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. How can we feel empowered? Totally. So I think like the cascade of intervention um, absolutely exists and I don't think there's any point in sort of trying to talk around that, right? Like All three of us needed it. 100%. So the the cascade of intervention, if we look at it really simply, um, is like a domino effect or a cascade of things that happen after the first intervention. And Mm -hmm. typically, like you'll hear an example of, okay, I'm induced and then I'm more likely to have an epidural and then I'm more likely to have um, an instrumental delivery or a cesarean birth. And that's the mm-hmm. sort of cascade um, that you'll hear people talk about. I think understanding, um, you know, the different ways that you can be induced and what that does to your body and how you can use that to your advantage and still have the birth that you want is really important. So again, I think, um, and I said, I know I've said it so many times already, but that knowledge is power is truly key to a avoiding that cascade of intervention um, but b feeling like you're informed if it does happen because the reality is that lots of us will need an induction and for some of us that will mean that we have an epidural and then for some of us again that will mean we have an instrumental delivery or a c-section and that's not a bad thing it's burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST understanding and being informed about those decisions that changes the way that we feel after. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important because. And having it as part of your decision. Yeah. And that's, that's the key in all of this, right? Is that things don't happen to you in your labor and birth, because that's what leads to birth trauma, feeling like something has happened to you without your sort of, you know, informed consent or your informed knowledge of making that decision and then afterwards you feel like holy shit what has just happened I had no idea that that was you know what was going to happen and I'm really traumatized by that which is a very real experience um so I think ways to feel empowered from your birth process is just having that understanding of what's going on what options you have um you know really understanding the process of labor and birth and what having an induction actually might mean for you and 
how you can use that to your advantage or what having an epidural might mean for you and how you can still remain, you know, upright and use gravity to your advantage in an epidural and things like that. So there's absolutely um, a need for interventions in birth sometimes, and that is a reality. But again, I think it comes back to what are your non-negotiables and how do you want to feel and how can you use the knowledge that you have um, as power in your, in your birth experience? I'm just going to say from my experience, I had induction then syntocin and epidural and then von Tuss delivery. But I did feel really informed in my decisions and mm-hmm. I feel like I, I honestly look back at my birth, even though it was like, I don't know, it felt like three years long, it was 40 <laughs> something hours, but I feel really positive about it. And I felt like I just felt so happy afterwards, um, even though I didn't like I didn't want to have those things. Mm. I was able to make the decision to continue to move on with them. And it really helped me. So I'm just going to put it out there. Like, don't be afraid of it. it, it you know, mm. I was the same. Like, and I yeah. didn't have an induction like this with my second birth. I had, you know, an uh, spontaneous labor and a really long early labor stage, but I'd been in labor for like three days and decided to have the epidural. Um, And then eventually I had an episiotomy and then my baby Ali was born. And I feel like that was literally the most positive experience ever. But it was all because I was making those decisions from a place of feeling really informed. I was asking for what I wanted. I was pushing back if something didn't feel right. So I was in control of those um, options. And I think that's the really key thing there. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, first birth, I'm sure it's very different to the second and even going into the second birth, I'm just so motivated to be Mm. not in charge because I know there's going to be points where, yeah, I'm going to be in that world where like someone else needs to take charge. But I just feel that I know so much more than what I Mm. did in my first birth. Even though I did two hypnobirthing classes, sometimes it's not until you experience it that you're like, whoa, I definitely could have like maybe could have done this or this time I would like to do this instead. Um, But Mm. this brings me to my next question about interventions. Um, What is an intervention-free version of birthing a placenta? Like how should, Mm. how long should it really take? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, you'll hear a lot of like birth stories. People will talk about a physiological or a managed stage, which is Mm, when you'd have, um, if it was managed, you'd have an injection usually of syntocin, which is um, also what they use to induce labor. And it just helps your placenta to sort of come away and then you birth you birth it. And um, that should usually take like up to 30 minutes if you've had a managed um, placenta birth stage. If it's physiological or you don't have the injection, um, it can sort of take up to an hour uh, usually and some people will be really quick and others will take, you know, like the full hour. And usually after an hour, your care provider would start to talk about like, okay, we should maybe think about um, some help to help the placenta come away because as soon as you've given birth, your uterus sort of starts contracting and doing what it doing what it should do. You want the placenta to sort of come away as part of that process and it won't always on its own. So there sometimes absolutely is a need for a managed um, placenta birth stage. I think um, in terms of how long it should take, it's yeah, d- depends on your sort of care provider and their practice. But typically if it was physiological, it would take up to an hour. And if it was managed, it would take sort of, you know, up to 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, um, cause my placenta came out in pieces the first mm-hmm. time 
And I and then went into surgery and everything. But this time it's like one thing that I'm really set on because mm. I sort of question why. I, I do remember there being a little bit of tugging and I don't know what point there was and I, I just have this thing where I want to be able to like birth my placenta naturally for a little bit physiologically. Mm. And so I voiced that with my obstetrician. He was like, yep, I'm happy to do that. Um just because the hemorrhage risk, like we'll leave mm. you for half an hour and then we'll just start prepping you for surgery at half an hour. Yeah. But by the time we get to the end of that, like you'll have a whole hour. Yeah. So, prepping you for um, surgery? Well, just in or, case. Well, because if I'm, because apparently if you've had retained placentas previously, mm. like you'll oh, okay. another one. So if, um, if it doesn't come out after like an hour, then, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about it, but I just... Yeah. Know that I want to give myself the opportunity and that was like another birth wish, which, um, yeah, I just feel like placenta. It was one thing that I didn't really focus on, Mm. but Mm. then it became this like obsession afterwards. Like I didn't get to do my placenta. That was like something that was kind of now like more important to me in the second birth yeah, yeah. people like forget that sometimes like I, I've hosted podcast guests who were like I had no idea I had to give birth to the placenta after the baby was born they sort of just like assumed that it all came out in one right another big question um what what can we sort of expect from each stage of birth mm. and what are the different stages of birth yeah, so I think, um, and I talk about this quite in depth in the course because I think it's really important to understand the different stages of birth and and be able to sort of identify them. Like I talk about it on my Instagram as well because it's good for the person giving birth but also the birth partner to sort of be able to identify yeah. where you might be up to in, in these stages. So I refer to it as early labor um, and that's when, you know, your labor sort of starts and you might have some tightening and some aches and um, it'll feel, you know, like a bit different to Braxton Hicks if you've been having those. Um, usually your contractions would be a regular um they sometimes might be more regular and then like slow down and if you're like me and (laughs) your body wants to be in early labor for a long time then you can sometimes have that like for days um yeah uh, it's not always something that sort of lasts like you know a couple of hours and then moves on so early labor is your body sort of really starting to prepare um and doing what it sort of should be doing and yeah that can that can change in terms of um length depending on the person and as you sort of get to that end of the early labor stage um you sort of start to notice that things get a little bit more intense and they might become a little bit more regular your tightenings will be um, more obvious than maybe what they were at the start and and you might feel like some changes in your body slowly start to happen. Um, So that's the first stage. And then you come to active labor, um, which is when you're really having to give – Give in to your contractions and it's not something that you're just able to sort of talk through or – you know, just go about your day with what like you might have been able to do in early labor. Um, so your contractions will yeah, really require your attention and your breathing and your focus. You might be like swaying through them um, or you'll be using the comfort methods that you've chosen to try. It's a great time to use your TENS machine if you're trying that. Um, but all of the comfort methods that you've been sort of talking about with your birth partner would be your go-to during active labor. And again, it sort of has two stages, like an early and a late stage of active labor where you might be just starting to come into active labor and 
your contractions are like really manageable but definitely regular and you're giving your attention to them versus the end stage of active labor where you're really having to like focus and breathe and do everything you can to sort of move through that wave of contraction when it comes. Um, and then you'll get to transition. <laughs> and I'm really passionate about talking about this a lot because, um, again, through the podcast, I hear these stories of people who felt um, like an associated birth trauma afterwards because they get to this transition stage and everything feels really overwhelming. A lot of people will say, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just want to go home. Get me the hell out of here. Um, During transition, you get this rush of adrenaline. And if you've been in quite like a sleepy or a not sleepy, but if you've been in quite a, um, you know, manageable state through your labor so far, transition can feel like, holy shit, what the hell is happening to me? Um, And can be that feeling of like losing control. So I think it's important to know that this is such a normal stage that you're moving through um, yeah. and it is absolutely part like a normal part of of labor and birth so yeah you'll, you'll notice that transition phase sometimes people will like vomit it's a really normal thing mm-hmm. to happen in transition um, some people will get the shakes like it's all normal and it's all driven by that sort of adrenaline rush and your body getting ready to give birth um, yeah the shakes so that's the I sort didn't of, know about, and I'm glad yeah. that you said that. I got the shakes and I was like, oh, shit, my body's breaking down. Something's wrong with yeah. me. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's like, oh, honestly, you guys, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think like that point as well, we get we can get really fearful and we're like, something's wrong with me. I've got the shakes or I'm vomiting or my body's telling yeah. me I need to go home. Like that's my gut instinct telling me something's wrong. And it is again driven by that sort of adrenaline rush. But being able to identify that is important because otherwise you get into the cycle of fear, tension and pain, which is just like not something that you want in that part of your birth. You don't want to be feeling really tense and um, therefore contributing to sort of that pain cycle. You want to be able to give in to that sort of feeling as much as you possibly can. So knowing that it's coming and being able to identify it and it won't be as intense for everybody, you know, like obviously everybody has such different births, but just knowing that, okay, this is transition and this is really normal and it means I'm going to meet my baby soon is a really, um, a really key piece of information, I think, when it comes to labor and birth. Yeah. Yeah. And then you will be, um, you'll likely get to 10 centimeters. And this is when, um, if you don't have an epidural, for example, you might, um, you might get this involuntary sort of feeling of your body actually pushing without you having much control over it. Um, and not everybody will have that without an epidural, but you can do so. The stage after transition is when um, your baby's all the way in the birth canal and, you know, getting ready to be born and you've got these really intense contractions like bringing your baby down um, and you would usually be starting to push like sometime after that and you might get this really intense urge to poo and you might feel yeah. like a heap of pressure. And I, I posted a, um, a video on TikTok yesterday of a lady after she'd given birth and she said, oh my God, my fanny's on fire or something like that. And, <laughs> and all of these people were commenting and this one lady said, um, I remember vividly saying in my labor, I feel like my butthole is going to fall out. Like yeah. that's how <laughs> intense it felt. And I think like all of these things are really normal. That 
and really intense pressure in your bum is really normal when um, when you're giving birth. So that's the sort of next stage when you'd be pushing your baby out. Um, sometimes, like I said, it will be this involuntary thing where your body sort of takes over and is sort of pushing for you. And other times it'll be a really conscious need for you to drive that pushing. Um, and I always say to my clients, push like you're doing the biggest poo you've ever done in your whole life um yeah I have to say that did help me yeah yeah and that that really helped me figure out where I was pushing and you have to get really angry it's not like a polite push (laughs) no (laughs) but you know when what can I say you know when you're pushing and the um the nurses or the OB they'll be like um no, no, stop, 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 stop. Mm. Like you have the urge to push, but then they're telling then they're telling you to stop pushing. Why are they mm. telling you to stop pushing? Is it because of like, I mean, obviously it could be multiple reasons, like the cord or whatever, mm. but does it have to be, do you have to push when you're contracting? Is that right? Or yeah, yeah, so usually you would be pushing on a contraction because yeah, yeah. it means that you're working with your body, but also your care provider will often be um, trying to avoid a tear so they might be like sort of seeing your baby's head crown and they can sort of identify the moment where you need to just sort of slow down and um, allow your body to really stretch and that can be the hardest part I think is when you've got all of this pressure and you just really want to just push this whole baby out right now (laughs) Um, allowing your body the time to sort of stretch is really important so so listening to them if you can like you know if you've got that involuntary pushing sensation then you're not always going to be able to stop but um if you can sometimes the coaching from them can be really helpful so you've given birth and then you would be um working through the birth of the placenta and then you're sort of you know that sort of golden hour that we've already touched on um would happen and and yeah so those are the sort of stages of birth very quickly (laughs) yes um yeah um moving on I guess into the after stage Mm. you have spoken to so many women about their birth experience so yeah so okay snacks I find very important Mm -hmm. I think especially because we grew up believing that you can't eat in the hospital. I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I, Um, for my first birth, I packed a basically a kilo of dried mango. Didn't eat it, but (laughs) I just thought that's what I would want. But have you found that there's like a snack that people gravitate towards? And then also I'm going to join the questions up. Is there like, what are some of the things that people like products or things Mm. that people have loved in their postpartum in Mm. the hospital stay so I think snacks um things that are easy to eat and easy to access like you know a piece of fruit or a banana or like an energy ball or a bliss ball or something like that little things that are easy to eat that aren't going to take you too long um I think are really important because it's so bizarre that we think we can't eat during labor and birth and you often won't feel like eating, but it is important mm. to keep your energy yeah. levels up. So even Blissful's if it's like a great one, yeah, bliss balls are really good. Or if your partner's at home, if you guys are at home, get them to make you a smoothie or something like yeah. that. You know, it's just so that you're getting your energy levels restored. And if you're up during the night with labor, like things like that, you really want to keep your energy levels going. So, um, you know, nuts or a spoon of peanut butter, like anything like that is going to be really, um, really helpful. And I think the one thing I will never forget my midwife telling me in my second birth was dehydration is one of the biggest reasons why, why your labor will slow down or stop progressing. 
Oh, interesting. So we forget to drink. We forget like in the moment how important it is to drink water or, you know, an electrolyte drink. There's so many different options um, that are made for mums now as well, which I love. So, um, yeah, staying hydrated in labour is just as important, if not more important, than um, eating. So I think those are probably my key ones for that. And then in terms of what you can pack or, like, things you can use for postpartum, I've got a postpartum toolkit on my website and I just have really been like very careful about what I've included in there to make sure that it's things that mums would really use and all based on like my experience and and mums from the podcast and what they've used. So in there is the holy grail of postpartum recovery in my opinion and that is adult disposable nappies. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if either of you used them after your birth experiences, but I found maternity pads just like so big and chunky and uncomfortable. And I also remember getting like almost like chafing from the wings of maternity pads because they're so big. And that's what I have now. That is what I have now. That's awful. So bad. Yeah, um, so bad. So I found adult disposable nappies and I've got the Part and Panties um, brand in my store, which is actually a beautiful Australian brand. Um, they are amazing because you can just wear them on their own or you can put your pad into them um, and wear them like you would a pair of underwear and you don't have to worry about like bleeding anywhere or um, any leakage and you can just, you know, use, I wore them for weeks after I gave birth because I just found them so much more comfortable than underwear and pads. Um, Mm. Interesting. I didn't use them. Um, yeah, I would. I would so recommend it. Like, I'm such a such a fan. Yeah, I think I will. When I had Matilda, um, which uh, I think I must probably say this every episode. Everyone's sick of me saying this. Um, <laughs> was in London, and yeah, it's just everyone that I would see talking about these would say they were so tight on their legs, and they always uh, had to cut them. Yeah. So I wonder if the different brands, you know, from there to here, if it makes a difference. I'm going to get them here. Yeah, I've, definitely I've get them a go. Yeah, I packed a pair because oh, not a pair. I packed a whole thing of them for mm. birth because um, yeah, I also got recommended. I used them and then I only packed one. I don't even know why I packed one, thinking that the hospital would have them. Then I got there and mm. they're like, "Oh, here's some pads." And you're exactly right. The pads just um, yeah, just would not like they chafed. It was just not. They okay. move around, so, I guess. Yeah, because so I think the Depends brands have a wider range of sizing as well. That's so right here. That's right um, here. if you're finding like you want to have a bit more room in the leg, they've definitely got some more generous size options. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's really good. Um, and then my next one would be a peri wash bottle and like you can literally just use a mini pump bottle if you want to but there are mm-hmm. um peri wash bottles that are specific for postpartum and you just fill them with some warm water and if you've got like a um I love the Viva Lavolva healing spray if you just put a couple yeah. of drops of that into the peri wash bottle it's like yeah it just helps with everything postpartum yeah. when you're going to the toilet so if you're weeing it can be really stingy if you've had a vaginal birth um so that's definitely those two things I think were really key um to pack in a hospital bag and I love urol so you know the urol that you use when you get a bladder infection yeah um, yeah that helps. That yeah. yeah, it helps with the pH levels of your urine. So take drinking that in your drink bottle post birth can just help um with the stinginess that's, that you can that feel. Is the 
best tip I have mm. heard so far. Yeah. <laughs> Whole nine months mu- or eight months of me being pregnant. Yeah. That is mm. such a good idea because it's something that is petrifying in your mind about having to go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does sting. Chuck some mural in your drink bottle. It's um, <laughs> it's a good one. Great and idea. The other one I um have in the toolkit is actually Kiwi Crush. So it's a digestive support um because nobody wants to be like straining to push a poo out after you've just pushed a baby out, right? So yeah. um <laughs> so just drink it. It's like a sachet. You just put it into your water as well, um, and it means that you're getting more water in too. So those are my sort of things that I've got in the postpartum toolkit that I think are really helpful for a vaginal, particularly a vaginal birth um, delivery. And then if you were having a cesarean section, I think the adult nappies are still um, my go-to because they're high waisted. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to like rub on your scar or your incision yeah. site um, at all. Lots of lo- like loose, comfortable clothing. Um, I think sometimes people don't realize that it actually takes quite a while for your belly to start to go down Um and so you're still like pregnant afterwards. So you need to bring like comfortable clothing um, that you're going to feel, you know, really good in and comfortable in and you're not sort of worried about anything being too tight. Um, breastfeeding bras. I love, love, love the silverette cups. I don't know if either of you have heard of those. Um, I've yeah, heard of them. I've heard I haven't of those used actually. Them. Yeah. 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 So I I used them um after my second birth and I had like a huge crack on my nipple because when I first let latched Ali, he wasn't on properly and I didn't realize because I didn't breastfeed long with Jai. Um and the silverette cups were like the holy grail of healing <laughs> for my mm, nipples. Wow. Um, yeah, definitely would recommend giving those a go. Um and those would probably be, yeah, my key things. I think it's nice to have some comforts from home, like whether it's a pillow that you love or um, your slippers or your yeah. favorite toiletries, like that post-birth shower. I don't think anything can beat that feeling. Nicola's yeah. <laughs> um, already waiting for us. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so sometimes it can be really nice to have like, you know, some new body wash or like all of your favorite skincare or like your favorite smelling shampoo and conditioner, whatever it is. Um, those little things from home can make a really nice difference um, just after you've given birth. Yeah, Yeah, I have to say that is my number one thing that I look forward to in birth. So my first birth, I didn't actually pack anything special, (laughs) but my mum rocked up at the hospital with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the brand Aesop, uh, oh yes, Jordan. I love them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the she, smell. she, yeah, mm. she bought me a whole pack. Like we're talking, it would have been, yeah, very expensive. So I was oh like, gosh, super amazing. grateful. And yeah. she's like, Mom, here we go. Are you listening to this? <laughs> yeah. and, I, <laughs> yeah. and um, and I was like, oh yeah, like thinking nothing of it. I got into my room and I literally spent like every break I had from breastfeeding. I was moisturizing my legs. I was putting a facial mask on, and the smell, like it just. It just made me feel like I was in a spa and it was yes. a game changer. Yeah. So this time I've packed a whole um, box of it and I haven't opened any of them and it's like just for when I've given birth. Like yes, a little, little treat. And I also like I I got some for my partner as well so we'll both share it so it's like a both, you know, little yeah, spa sure. experience for us. Yeah. Nice. That's very but cute. Yeah. Um, okay, so we only really have t- time for two more questions, but the first one I was just talking, um, we wanted to talk about birth stories and mm. 
obviously it's something very close to your heart because you have a whole podcast on it. But <laughs> what are your thoughts on, um, you know, people listening to birth stories before they've given birth for the first time? You know, should they all be positive? I know, Jess, you're very anti, like, listening to No, I negative. was. I was. <laughs> and that was from my first hypnobirthing course, which was mm-hmm. like, do not listen to anything, only listen to our birth stories. And I followed it to a T, but I definitely think I should have been more informed <laughs> on what could have gone wrong. Because <laughs> I'm more of a, I prefer listening to like where something, the intervention, things that go wrong, just so I know, like I'm aware of like how that person felt afterwards, what they would have mm-hmm. done differently. That's just yeah. my, I like listening to a range. Like I love positive ones too. Um, but what what are your thoughts, Jordan, like as someone who has a course? Yeah. And, yeah, I think it depends, right, like on the type of person that you are. If you know that you can listen to an episode and that's why I'm very clear in like the title of the Kiwi Birth Tales episodes because I want yeah. people to know like what they're going to find in the episode. Um, if you're the type of person who can listen to a story where someone has experienced birth trauma and for whatever reason that might be um, – and they've found their birth, you know, something that was really traumatic for them. If you can listen to that episode and, you know, put it in a box, take the knowledge out that you want from it and sort of go, okay, here's what I learned from that. So here's what I'm going to take with me into my birth that I want to try and like implement or use to avoid that happening. Then mm. amazing. Listen to all the stories, take what you want from them knowledge is power again but if you're not that type of person and you would listen to that episode and go holy shit that is going to happen to me um and there's nothing I can do about it and now I'm feeling really anxious and I'm in the cycle of only being able to think about that traumatic thing happening to me definitely avoid them so I think like being self-aware enough to know um what type of category you fall into is probably like pretty important um yeah I definitely believe that like knowledge, you, you're just going to get like a range of experiences from listening to birth stories. Um, you can fast forward through parts if they're not like what you want to hear about, but taking those experiences and, and using them in the way that you want to can be so powerful. And just, you know, sometimes postpartum can feel so isolating and like you're the only one who's ever gone through these things. But if you've got a range of stories that you've heard before, more than likely you're going to be able to identify with one of them and go, oh, I remember, you know, Jess talking about that in her episode. And um, I might go back and listen to that now because I've experienced it and I want to hear it again and like understand how she felt. And is that how I'm feeling? Um, Can just create that feeling of like community or like you're just not as isolated or um, alone, which I think is really important. Totally, and that is kind of what I was going to talk about. The next question on postpartum recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know what? The the biggest thing that got to me in the postpartum was as soon as it hit nighttime, Mm. I would have a bit of a mental breakdown for a while. Mm. Yeah, Same, Um, I remember that, yeah. It was like an absolute fear. Yeah, Um, yeah. I hated the nighttime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That anxiety as well, like of – um, how many times am I going to be awake tonight? And like, yeah, how, what kind of night are we going to have? And am I going to feel even more exhausted tomorrow? And like that sort of cycle that we can get into. Um, is it different yeah. the second time around, or was it for you? Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it totally was for me. Um, oh, it's just like you've had a baby before, 
you know, yeah. you know, like you mean up with a toddler, forever. even you know, yeah. like when the girls are Nicola, not isolating anymore. Oh, Nicola, she's always up all night. Oh God, me too. <laughs> oh, are you? Um, but I feel like you just know that everything is a season, and like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't make it easier, but it just gives you some kind of like um solidarity kind of feeling that like you totally. will get through it and yeah. I also felt and I'm sure everybody's experience is different right but I felt like I was so much more confident in what I was doing and I was so much more able to make decisions without second guessing myself because I had had a baby before and I knew what this was like. And although they were really different babies, I just felt like I was able to try things and yeah, be more confident in that. And Mm. I think um, that's why I really enjoyed my second postpartum period was because I just really surrendered to that and like gave myself over to that really newborn phase and just allowed it to be what it would be, even though we had a toddler running around, (laughs) um, which is like adds a different element to it. But yeah, I think, um, it can be just so isolating the postpartum period. And yeah, um, one of my like things that I always say to people is like, if somebody's asking like, what gift can we get you for your postpartum period? Or like, you know, we want to do something for you. If you've got a group of friends that can pull some money together and buy you some AirPods, I reckon it is such a, an amazing gift to receive postpartum because you can chuck your AirPods in and like listen to a podcast episode or watch yeah. an episode of something on Netflix or listen yeah. to a meditation or listen to an audiobook or whatever it is that you're into while yeah. you're up in the night with your baby. And sometimes just hearing somebody else's voice is so reassuring, particularly oh, if you've got yeah. a husband who's asleep. I found um, like I was listening to the widest range of podcast episodes that you can like yes. ever imagine. Yeah. I would yes. go from like pop culture to motherhood to like news and like what was going on in the world. It was just, yeah, totally random, but it was just nice to have somebody else's voice like there. I don't recommend reading one about like a young girl who's like got a really um, intense sex life. I started (laughs) doing that one and I was like, well, this is just not me. Like it's so far away from me right now. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes you feel even more depressed. So yeah, don't just steer away from those. Yeah, yeah, steer Um, steer away from the romance You all have no sex drive really. (laughs) I just wanted to ask one more question about the postpartum Mm -hmm. recovery with your birth project. So how, like what part of the, or do you have a part of the course that supports the postpartum recovery? Mm. So there definitely is a small part of the course that's around, um, around postpartum and it's more focused on the sort of, sort of really early days of postpartum and, you know, your feeding journey and like things to look out for and stuff like that. So there's been a slight development from that with the Your Birth Project journal with some really, um, you know, specific postpartum related, um, topics and, like reflections and things like that because I think um yeah it's it's probably we spend a lot of time thinking about the birth and not a lot of time planning for postpartum but we're in postpartum for much longer than we are in birth (laughs) um so it's definitely one of the things coming to the course this year is a really um focused and specific postpartum recovery and postpartum support um, part of the course because yeah I've got a I've got a um a re-recording coming 
probably like mid-year um, that'll have heaps more content for the course, which is amazing. I'm so excited to do that. But right now it's pretty specific to those first sort of couple of weeks after birth and, and supporting you through that is what is in the course at the moment. All right. Amazing. Before we head off, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you? Sure. So I am on Instagram at your birth project, um, or you can find me, the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast is at Kiwi Birth Tales and it's T-A-L-E-S, or you can head to my website, www.yourbirthproject.com. Cool. Thank you. And just, I wanted to say quickly, I know you do a lot of, um, you're starting to do in-person now as well, but obviously if this course is available to anyone worldwide because it's online. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Jordan. We really appreciate your time today. And we look forward to hopefully speaking to you when you launch your postpartum section of your course. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, thanks again for listening. As always, we release episodes every Tuesday. And if you do like this podcast, then please rate or review it. And we will see you in our next episode. Bye. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.